I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Up in everybody. As usual, I'm your boy Adam Taylor. This is part of the Freeman Weave. I'm joined by my homies, plural, compadres, co-hosts in crime, Mr. Will Weir and Mr. Greg Manakis. What's popping, y'all? What's, What's good, good Taylor gang? gang? Taylor gang? Taylor gang. Taylor gang. <laughs> I don't know any of the other words, but the beat on that song was crazy, dude. <laughs> dude, uh, early, early Wiz hit different. It hit different. Yeah, he was a uh, before before he decided that he was going to become an entrepreneur and 10 other things that I don't know what he does. I don't even know how he makes money anymore. I just only things I ever see him for besides I know Greg had mentioned a couple episodes ago. First of all, we were having way too much Wiz Khalifa content these last <laughs> couple episodes. But the only thing I ever see him do is just like invent new ways to get high. I saw him with that Dan, you know that Daniel Mack on TikTok that's like uh, what do you do for a living whenever if someone's got Oh, is he like, is he like a rapper? Nah, he's just he's just a that's that's Harry Mac. Harry Harry Mac, who I don't think is that great because he uses his own name every ten words in a freestyle. (laughs) Harry Mac. Harry Mac's pretty amazing, dude. That's yeah, really hard like, to do it's just the fact that he has to keep using his name to, and it's just like, just sh- stop using your name. And I'm that's his cornerstone, man. He needs to. If you're freestyling, you always need something to come back to to center yourself. Otherwise, you start talking about stuff that literally makes no sense. So for him, like as someone who attempts to freestyle, I am not good at it. Like he's he's amazing, and like that you have to have that one word that you can always come back to, and then you can kind of flip rhymes off of that. Fair so, enough. Yeah. Fair I, enough. Don't don't hate on Harry Mack. What he does is is really <laughs> impressive. It just frustrates me. What I was saying was uh Daniel Mack is a dude on TikTok that basically goes up to people in nice cars and asks them what they do for a job. So how did you get that nice car? Is it and obviously oh, yeah, got, I've seen that. I've seen he's that. huge now. So he's obviously doing actual collaborations with rich people and famous people. And he did one with Wiz Khalifa the other day. And Wiz Khalifa was like, I'm a rapper, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a designer, I'm a this, I'm a that. I'm like, I ain't never seen you put out a clothing range. I ain't never heard of anything that you it's just uh it's just been a weird, it's just a weird experience. But other than that, like it's all good, man. It's all good. No more Wiz Khalifa content other than the Taylor gang. We're gonna stick with that. <laughs> That's the entry. It's the entry point. Yeah, so if you were on that show with what's his name, Danny Mac, you say David yeah, Mac? Daniel Mac, Daniel Mac, <laughs> that was close. Sorry with the D, Daniel Mac. What would you say uh, if he if he came up to you and was like, "How did you make your millions? What is your answer going to be in in five years?" I spoke about basketball <laughs> in an English accent, <laughs> <laughs> and that's for your some niche. reason, that's your lane. Yeah, for some reason, people listened. And they, I don't know, I, I, dude, to this day, I find it insane that people click, listen and subscribe and follow. So if somebody, asked, and then like, you know, because I do like, this is my job. I was out the other day and uh, I was with my wife and like, she was talking and then someone said to me, oh, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I talk about basketball. And they're like, <laughs> oh, so you, so it's just a hobby. I'm like, no, it's a job. They're like, sounds like a hobby, but no one gets it. No one at all. Well, especially over there, because that's like, you know what I mean? Like if you said you, you were a a football analyst, like they'd be like, Oh shoot. They would, you know, they probably have a much different reaction than, Oh, I cover basketball. So I think like, cause I think if that were, you know, if you were in the, if you were in the state saying that, 
that would be, you know, kind of the reaction you would get. And probably people would come up to you more frequently and be like, hey, love your coverage or love your work on Celtic spot. Yeah, it's just uh, I just think that even if it was football, like when you're like, as soon as you say, I talk about sports or I write about sports and like for us, our version of ESPN is Sky, Sky Sports. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they're all they're all owned by the same company. But unless you're the next words out of your mouth are I write or do for Sky Sports or ESPN, everyone's like, oh, so it's a hobby. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. No, I mean hey. you're you're doing you're doing a big man for sure. Will oh, and man, I, cool. Will and I, I, I don't I don't want to speak for Will, but I know for me, when people ask me what do I do, it's really hard for me to answer like, oh, I'm a musician or I'm in a band or I'm a podcaster, like. I don't, that doesn't pay the bills for me. It has paid bills for me. It doesn't pay all of my bills. So that's a really tough thing for me to say. And I used to say like, oh, I do a lot of things. And people are just like, oh, like, what are you, a drug dealer? (laughs) (laughs) That's 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 pretty ambiguous. So I feel like you're trying to avoid conversation at the dinner table. (laughs) It's a tough thing to answer. So now I don't, I mean, I've been making a concerted effort to take pride in the fact that I am a podcaster. I'm in a band. You know, I'm no longer a teacher. I officially left teaching. So I don't have to worry about that crisis for whatever reason. It just gave me a lot of anxiety to tell people that I was a teacher because I think just because teaching is so like looked down upon as as a profession. Really? Um, Yeah. I mean, just because, well, one, because of the pay and then two, because I don't know how you like a lot of teachers are kind of terrible at their job, you know? Yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're a teacher. Like, oh, you're probably just like someone that goes to work and just kind of like goofs off. I was like, no, I took it pretty seriously. And I like made it made a serious impact on a lot of kids lives. But I think answering that question, I'm a teacher is someone who I don't like when I look in the mirror, I don't see, oh, there's Mr. Manakis. There's a teacher. You know what I mean? That's not what I see. So for someone to ask me, like, what do you do? That's almost like them asking you, like, who are you? You know, what do you do? Who are you? What are the, what is the thing that you love the most? You know, when I, that's what I hear when I, when I hear, what do you do? And I, I never wanted to answer. I'm a teacher. Cause I didn't see myself teaching for my whole life. If that makes sense. Makes perfect sense, man. And like the one thing I'll kind of say, and what I want to know how you're going to explain yourself in a moment. The one thing I'll say is, um, I used to kind of identify more as a journalist. So I'd be like, Oh, I'm a basketball journalist. And now I kind of identify more as a content creator. Because, you know, podcasting is audio, but then we put it out mm-hmm. in video. Then I do the breakdown stuff over on Instagram or I'll do some stuff on TikTok or what. So now I'm just like, yeah, I'm a basketball content creator with a focus on X's and O's. And that's kind of like if an American was to ask me what I did, that would be my response. When an English person asked me, I'm just like, I do stuff about basketball. <laughs> it's that that what you, what stuff all the stuff any stuff. You have, have you heard of the sport of basketball? Yeah, yeah, that's the stuff I cover. Yeah, you know Michael Jordan. Yeah, me and him are homies. That's that's my boy. Like put me on, but uh, that's kind of how I answer things now. I'm just a content creator about basketball with a focus on X's and O's. Yeah. And I look- think- I think for me, my answer is kind of similar to Greg. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, like it doesn't pay all the bills. It helps cover certain aspects of my life, you know, doing this, uh, doing different coverage. But that's kind of the way I always would answer that question is, you know, what pays the bills is me working in software sales. But what is what's my passion? It's it's working on this podcast with y'all working on Greg and I's podcast, New Green with Envy Feed. Make sure y'all go check it out. Uh, you know, that's 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 the stuff that I get, you know, super passionate about. And it's it's something that, you know, I like I think 
I feel it, you know, like when I'm working on the stuff with you guys, like I love sitting in our group chat, like, all right, what are we talking about today? Especially when we have, you know, stuff that we can go really in depth on that. Like, I love doing the prep work for this type of stuff like that's absolutely. And that's when I think we have like some of our best shows. We have like, you know, these different topics that we're really digging deep into, right. And trying to provide a different angle because there's a million Celtic shows. There's a million NBA shows. So it's how do we separate ourselves? And and like when to Greg's point of like, how do you define or who do you see or who do you want to see when you look in the mirror? It's that individual, the one that is like trying to find something unique to be able to talk about that people find interesting, which back to your point, Adam, is baffling when people do reach out and they're like, hey, I love your work or hey, man, that actually sounds good because, you know, you want that. You want to be confident that what you're saying or, or what you're putting out into the world is something that people want to hear. But but the reality is, like, it's not every time we put out a podcast, we know that that was a hit. We can see certain numbers. We can be like, oh, that one looks like it hit good. But then when you get a DM or you get somebody who, you know, starts interacting with you on Twitter about something you said, and it's like, man, people are really listening to what we have to say. And and that's kind of this euphoric feeling that that drives us and drives me to like continue to, to keep going. So, uh, you know, long winded way of saying, you know, I, I try to combine the two. But, you know, depending on who my audience is and if I think they know what I'm going to be talking about, you know, I'll probably give a little bit more depth to it or I'll just say, oh, I do some coverage for the Celtics on the side. Yeah. And then the one thing is you said do some coverage for the Celtics and someone instantly thinks you work for the Celtics. Yeah, that becomes a problem as well. So they're like, oh, <laughs> so you know Jason Tatum or oh, so you can get me tickets if I'm in Boston. Do you know how many people I'm like, especially when I was like. I mean, I've been quite vocal. I, I, I kind of moved away from Twitter for a while to build an Instagram presence, and I'm still doing that, and that's kind of got my focus at the moment. But when you, like, I, I got very used to being, and not, and this, I don't want it to sound like there's an ego here because there isn't, but I've got very used to being like a known name in Celtics Twitter. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I tweeted something, it would be like, "Oh, well, there's Adam Taylor. He's 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 on here. He's around. He's that dude from down the street." Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When I move over to like a whole new social platform, and there's very little crossover between the two, and no one has a clue who you are, so they're discovering you for the first time. The amount of DMs I got was like, "Hey, dude, can you get me cheap Celtics tickets? Or can can do, any chance you could like put a word in to get me a signed jersey from?" player x or player what i'm like dude you're closer to the garden than i am by thousands of miles i can't help you with nothing dude literally anything like i don't know why you think i work for the team and if i did i wouldn't be on social media because that's one of like the first prerequisites of working for us but like an nba team is no trace of social media so uh that was a that was a wild experience every time someone saw your name and celtics in it they're like he works for the Celtics. And I've had people reach out, like, do you work for the NBA? Because my son's really good and he's not getting the uh the attention. I'm like, what do you want me to do? You want Yo, me to send, send a scout for you? I used to so back in the day, Adam, I used to work at the University of Texas. So Kevin Durant's alma mater, who actually maybe that will be someone we talk about here in a little bit, but I used to work there in the athletic department and I would sell premium tickets to basketball, football, baseball games. And I can't tell you, like literally at the time I was 25 years old making, you know, not great money, okay money. And I'm just sitting there making 65 phone calls a day asking people to give donations to the school and see if they want to buy season tickets or mini game packages or rent a suite or whatever it is. And I can't tell you the amount of people who would ask me, all right, so if I buy this ticket to University of Texas versus Kansas, University of Kansas, 
do you think you could put in a good word with the coach at me for my kid? I'm like, dude, who do you think this is? Like, like you're buying one game ticket for $70. Like, I don't understand what, what type of relationship you think this entitles you to or that you think I have as far as clout. But I would get that question, you know, multiple times per week in some form or fashion about hooking them up with a connect. And people just they, they hear that you work for a certain entity or they think or they assume you work or are connected to a certain entity. And then immediately it's insane. The lengths people will jump to to try and take advantage of that when there's absolutely no relationship built in any capacity that even if that was an option that you or I or whoever it would be would put themselves on the line in that way so it's it's in, it's really interesting to see the way that or how irrational individuals can be when situations like that arise everybody wants the uh everybody wants the discount man and I can't I can't I can't. Hate I mean, I story. get it, but it's it's like, man, come on, like, like, think about the context here. You, some dude just called you up out of the blue to buy a ticket, and you're like, hey, can you talk to the head football coach of the <laughs> of the wealthiest college football program in the world about about them taking a look at my kid in you know some random town in Texas? Like, no, that's not no. happening. And I, from a parent's perspective, I can completely get it, you know, because you're just trying to advocate for your child who you probably do genuinely believe and they probably could be the the talent that you think they are and you're just trying to advocate for some extra uh some extra eyes give them an opportunity so i don't i don't begrudge it but i i do agree like i'd never like when i was playing basketball i'd never have expected my mom to phone up like i don't know real madrid because you can sign there at like 14 15 and be like yo send someone out to come and look at my son he's balling balling like I just never would have accepted. I would, and then I would have been upset if she did because, like, yeah, I kind of want to make it on my own. What if, uh, what if she called the Celtics and she was like, "Excuse me, could I please speak with uh, Mr. Doc Rivers?" Yeah, <laughs> my son is really talented. I think you should come take a look at him. The next so, like, I, yeah, so like <laughs> that. I mean, the way I feel about it depends on the outcome, right? Like, if all of a sudden I'm going 11th in the NBA draft and I'm playing for the Celtics, then I feel really good about it. Thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah, but I do. People people should never be afraid to make the ask. And speaking of which, Kevin Durant, because I feel like we need to transition here. It's, it's, minutes basketball, it's a good transition. <laughs> Kevin Durant has made the ask or made the demand and said some things that I could never, ever imagine having the gall to say. Kevin Durant has asked Joe Sy, if he if he wants Kevin Durant to stay in Brooklyn, he will need to get rid of the coach and GM. Talk about people being bold. To me, that is one of the craziest things I've ever heard a basketball player say, especially someone who's 34 years old and is injured, well, has been injured in the past and is seemingly hurting his trade value by doing that because no GM is going to want to take on Kevin Durant at this point, right? I don't know about no GM's going to want to take him on. Like, I I, I still think, I, I, like, so the full context of this situation, I don't think has changed a ton. Like, it's very bold what Kevin Durant has asked. But I don't think at the end of the day, like, I do Miami, Phoenix, Boston, Toronto, if they set their prices of what they're going to offer for Kevin Durant, I don't think any of them are taking that off the table because of what was just said. So in that sense, I don't think it means that he's untouchable or that teams are not going to go for it. 
But I do think it obviously, and this is why, you know, Adam and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about teams that, you know, could make an offer or what that offer could be. And he brought up the Pelicans and the Pelicans were a team I kind of dismissed for this reason, because with them, it's a little bit different. You're in a smaller market. You don't have a ton of room for error right now. You have more cracks at it with the team you have and the, you know, bevy of picks that you have. But that's a situation where, you know, you feel like Kevin Durant might be able to come in and, and kind of muscle his way around. But if he comes to a situation with Toronto with Misai Ujiri comes to you know uh Miami with with Pat Riley Phoenix is kind of a mess I don't know I don't know what to, to to do with them but Boston's a little bit more established with kind of you know their culture and system like that's something that's gonna you know you can maybe rely on on what you've built to be able to bring a guy like that in so I don't know that it honestly changes stuff that much uh, I think it's bold but I don't I honestly don't think much has changed even with these comments so I think that the biggest thing for me, and I said this on a on a YouTube episode yesterday, was the GMs around the league are going to be looking at this being like, so if I trade for Kevin Durant, I'm rolling the dice with my own career. Because if we go if we acquire Durant and then we fall in the second round or in the conference finals, is he going to get upset then? Is he going to want to get traded again or me to get fired? Or so if I'm Brad Stevens, I'm like, well, I'm only two years into the job. He might feel like he wants a more experienced GM. Maybe he tries to push me out the door. Or if I'm Udoka, maybe he tries to push me out the door. On the flip side, the one thing I was really kind of intrigued about was if you look at Sham's article on that, like following the discussion between Durant and Joe Sai, the last paragraph, he specifically went out of his way to talk about Durant's relationship with Udoka and how the two of them have got a good friendship. Now, my biggest takeaway there was, well, why is that the closing statement of your article? Do you know something that we don't know? Are you a mouthpiece for somebody here? Because the fact that you've used it as your closing statement rung real true to me in the sense of, do you genuinely believe that Boston are at the front of the queue right now? Are they at the front of the line? Are they the guys that are going to pull the trigger on this deal. And that to me was the biggest question that I took away from the entire report was just, why did you place this paragraph where you did? Yeah, no, that that's a great point. I, I didn't actually read that article. So that, that makes sense. I don't really read much of Shams's work. I just kind of see his tweets. Um, but anyways, with, with KD, if Udoka is the selling point for Boston, good for Boston, you know, that's, that's great that they hired a guy that has that much cachet around the league. But the question that I would have is why doesn't Steve Nash also hold that sort of weight with Kevin Durant? I don't, I don't know for sure, but I do remember that Kevin Durant wanted Steve Nash as a head coach, or at least wanted to get rid of Atkinson as the head coach. I don't know if Steve Nash was like handpicked for him to come in by Kevin Durant, but I do know that they didn't want Atkinson to be the head coach anymore. Right. So I don't know, man, but Kevin Durant, it's just, there's so much of, his personality that shows if it's not 100% the way that he wants to do it, then I don't know that he's going to be all in. I mean, that was the whole thing with OKC. It was the whole thing with golden state. And seemingly it's the whole thing now with the nets is it's kind of Kevin Durant's way or the highway. But I do know, you know, I've listened to some Kevin Durant interviews and I find him just to be like an interesting person. Uh, he has a lot of deep thoughts and he, you know, he's, he, 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 he definitely puts the time in and thinking about what he wants to achieve as an NBA player and as a human being. But I don't know if I can trust him at this point, bringing him into the Celtics organization, 
though he is someone who just at the end of the day wants to just hoop. And maybe that's all he wants to do is be in a situation where he doesn't have to be surrounded by a circus and it's just come in and play basketball. And maybe that's what he sees um, is available in Toronto, in Miami or in Boston. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of out on KD, though, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I mean, I think, you know, to your last point about he just loves the hoop. That's a, that's the game of chicken. I think Joe Sy and, and the Nets like ownership is playing with him is is kind of like, listen, we're not going to give in to these trade demands like you're going to have to actually like prove that you're, you're going to be okay sitting out for us to take anything that we think is is less than you know market value well it can't even be market value because market value is just crap but you know what i mean but less than the value of what you think kevin durant should be worth but one of the things i want to talk about real quick is, is the steve nash point so you were right greg he he got basically kenny atkinson was the coach for the one year that kd was injured after he signed but was coming off the injury in the in the finals and then kenny atkinson was was let go Steve Nash, I, I know it's it's said it's a kind of like Kyrie and KD's like joint pick was was Steve Nash. I don't understand Steve Nash getting, you know, like like what there must be something behind the scenes that's gonna come out about the way Steve Nash has handled these last two years. Because in my opinion, I feel like he hasn't gotten a fair chance to even be a coach. Because it's been just, I mean, he got 16 games total out of Harden, Kyrie, and KD. And then they traded Harden and Ben Simmons gave him zero. And on top of that, they had other injuries to to Joe Harris, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin was all breaking down. Like they had a bunch of other, um, you know, obviously the Kyrie COVID stuff, like, Steve Nash has had a very unfair shake. It's just trying to be an NBA head coach. So for him to end up in, and it feels like this has happened, this has been kind of rumored. And now with, with this report, you know, Steve Nash has been looked at as the, the scapegoat to it. And it doesn't ever have really just hasn't made sense to me because it's like, what, what the hell was he supposed to do with these last couple of years that would have been like, Nope, see Steve Nash is the right guy for the job. I mean, who is the right guy for the job for, for the situation that the Brooklyn Nets have been in, in the last couple of years, especially when, when you consider the whole DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen thing, like Steve yeah. Nash was the one that wanted to play Jared Allen because Jared Allen was the better player than DeAndre Jordan. And KD was the one that wanted DeAndre Jordan on the team and in the starting lineup. So it doesn't make sense to me, dude, you can't have your cake and eat it too. In that situation. You know what I mean? Like Steve Nash made the right call. And then to get the guy that you wanted, James Harden, you traded one of the best young centers in the league when you probably didn't have to trade Jared Allen in that deal. You know, and so I, I could see them being a little bit annoyed with with the GM because they got rid of Jared Allen. But then you just said that you didn't want Jared Allen playing over DeAndre Jordan. So it's just everything that he's saying doesn't really make sense to me. Um, I personally seeing what KD and Kyrie did to a Brooklyn Nets culture that was seemingly on the rise before they got there. It just scares the the Jesus out of me for them coming into Boston for well, KD coming to Boston. Kyrie is never coming back. <laughs> yeah. I'm petrified. I'm not even going to lie. Uh, I don't like the, I love the idea of the KD Tatum pairing and what it can do for Tatum long term and how that would look and how much fun it would be to cover and all that. But in terms of like actual team chemistry and team building, I'm not a fan. And but the problem is, right? And like I, I'm gonna go full screen for this bit for anyone watching because I want to preach up for a moment and I hope everybody's okay with this. Go full Stephen A here. Yeah, but the problem <laughs> is 
there's no other team out there that can really beat what Boston has to offer. And now all of a sudden, Brooklyn have probably got their eyes on Jalen Brown. Because if you look at Miami, you can't include Bam Adebayo because Ben Simmons is there and you can't have two guys on those designated rookie extensions. So now the best Miami can really do is like a Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, plus a few other dudes. That doesn't beat Jalen Brown plus Derek White and whoever else you want to throw in there. Toronto have turned around and said, you're not getting Scotty Barnes. So do you, who do you hold in higher regard? Do you hold Jalen Brown or Pascal Siakam? Jalen Brown or OG Ananobi? Because Toronto are only going to give you one of Siakam or Ananobi. They're not giving you both. And all of a sudden you start looking around the league and you're like, well, maybe if New Orleans did get involved, Brandon Ingram's there, but I still have higher hopes for Jalen Brown than I do for Brandon Ingram. So from like a, a whole standpoint of who's got the best package, it has to be Boston. And that means that Brooklyn's eyes are going to be fixated on Boston until Brad Stevens is like, hey, we're out. We don't want none of, no more of this. We're, we're done. Or until Brad Stevens goes back to the negotiating table, like, here's my new offer, but it's a take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown conversation is actually pretty interesting. I I don't know that I would put JB ahead of Brandon Ingram at this point. I think Brandon Ingram, especially in these last playoffs and this year with Zion being out, I thought he took a real leap. I watched a lot of Pelicans games. So I'm not sure if I were another team looking at the two of them that I would pick Jalen Brown over Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram, you know, he's 6'9". He he has definitely shown some flashes on the defensive end. He's not as good of a defensive player as JB is. His measurables are better. Seems to be a little bit more durable than JB with the, you know, all the stuff that JB's had with the knee and the hamstring. So if I'm the Celtics, I'm Celtics fans, and I'm someone that wants Kevin Durant, I'm not. But if if I were... That would be the team that would really scare me because I think a Brandon Ingram, JB conversation, at least you could make the argument that they're on the exact same level. And then it's just what else can the Celtics offer? What else can the Pelicans offer? And to me, the Pelicans, you know, with all those draft picks that they've acquired, I think they're the team to be, you know, to, to be reckoned with in terms of competing for Kevin Durant. And I think a Brandon Ingram plus picks deal probably beats a Jalen Brown, Derek White and a pick or two. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it might beat the the Jalen Brown package. But once again, like my, my stance has always been Brad should have a firm line on what it is, because this isn't a deal you absolutely have to do. Like you can still go into next season feeling very confident with your team. Is your team better if you can set the price and you take Kevin Durant in? Yes. But once you start to you know lose your leverage, which you shouldn't because, you know, Adam just laid out, this is what the market is. And so when you look at the Pelicans, and this is, you know, I mentioned it a minute ago, I think for the Pelicans, they're the type of team that should be scared. The bejesus the, should be scared out of them of trading for a guy like Kevin Durant because you trade Brandon Ingram. I know you have a ton of picks. Trade a bunch of those picks along with with Brandon Ingram, and maybe you got to add in Trey Murphy or a Herb Jones or you know one of your other young guys that that goes along with it, or maybe it's even Valanciunas just for you know salary stuff like that. Like once you do that, then KD doesn't work out. Zion maybe follows suit, and what are you left with? You're you're the Pelicans. You don't really have much to build on from that. So I think their package could be just as good, if not better than what the Celtics could offer. And I don't think the Celtics should even match it because I, I just don't think that they're a team that I think they have to look at Kevin Durant the way that, that you're saying and that like, look at this mentality, look at what all the, you know, everything that we've seen over his last three stops in the last, you know, six years, seven years, whatever it's been. And, what's the what's the vision for us here of him being happy in new orleans because i don't see it 
And I think if they're being really true to themselves, it's going to be hard to convince yourself that, oh, this is the spot where Kevin Durant's going to cement his legacy over the last couple of years. Could you make that case? I think you could. But from what we know of Kevin Durant, you know, he left Oklahoma City because he didn't want to be in a small time basketball market. That's what New Orleans is. New Orleans is all about football. They're all about LSU. They're all about the New Orleans Saints. They honestly don't really care about the Pelicans. Like I've been to that arena. I've been to, you know, that area of town. Yeah, they were hyped when they got Zion. Can you guys show me the clips of where the crowd's going nuts for for Zion or for when they had Anthony Davis? Like, it's few and far between. It's not a basketball area. It's not an area that Kevin Durant, for like Greg said, is a very thoughtful guy. He knows that his legacy, if his last three to four years of his prime are spent in New Orleans, that's that that ain't hitting that ain't that ain't that ain't what he's looking for. But yeah. if he goes to Boston, if he go with all the tradition, if he goes to Miami and he's playing with Jimmy Butler and he's got Pat Riley, you know, looking over everything. If he's in Phoenix with all NBA guys like Devin Booker and Chris Paul, like even in Toronto, you know, with a guy like uh, the reputation of Masai Ujiri and an upcoming player like Scotty Barnes, or if they end up moving Scotty Barnes, he's still with you know all stars and Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. Like there's a little bit more to that. You've seen that. Crowd, you've seen that you know Kawhi Leonard went in there and he can kind of be that next version, or there can be another, he can over you know overtake Kawhi Leonard's you know one year legacy. And so, I think there's there's ways to view it that it would make sense if the price is right to gamble. But for New Orleans, I just I just can't see if they're really true to themselves that this would make sense for them to make this move. I mean, for me, this is the whole reason the Pelicans made that AD trade when they did, though, right? They bought in. Lonzo, who is fair enough, he's gone. They bought in Brandon Ingram, a plethora of draft picks, and they've been biding their time. They get Zion, they bring in CJ McCollum, and now all of a sudden they're well positioned to make that trade for a superstar. They have the draft assets, they have the young talent, they have the tradable contracts that can get thrown into a deal just to make the money work. The question left is, do they want to use all of that I know Kevin Durant has, will you've put, he is a flight risk. If you are willing to put all those assets in front for Kevin Durant, then all of a sudden no team's really going to be able to yeah. compete with you. The only other team that could, in my opinion, and I want to, I want to see your faces when I say this is the New York Knicks because they have a ridiculous amount of draft picks. They have young, upcoming, impressive talent. You know, they can go, RJ Barrett, Julius Randall, four or five first round picks, throw in a Quentin Grimes or an Obi Toppin, and all of a sudden your team's set to rebuild straight off the bat. But obviously New York's focus is on Donovan Mitchell. But if that yeah. was to change, and they would don't forget this was a team that were trying to like convince KD to come to them before he joined Brooklyn anyway. If they changed their mind and decided, no, we're gonna go after KD. I think they've got enough in the tank to be able... I don't think it blows Boston's um, offer out of the water, but I think the additional draft picks for a team like Brooklyn that have no draft assets really moving forward, that could be really enticing. Yeah, I mean, Brooklyn's in a tough spot, right? Because they need to regain or recoup some of their draft assets, but they also can't stink because they need players so that they don't just send top five picks to Houston for the next five years or four years or whatever. So it's a, so it's a tough spot to be in. And, and in that regard, I, I see the Knicks package, but 
my gut says if they're if 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 New York is really a different management system, they're not going to give up RJ Barrett because they want to build something long term. And KD is perfect for a team that has title aspirations in the next two to three years. And if you take RJ Barrett plus another two, three of those young guys and some picks off the table, you're left with, you know, Jalen Brunson, KD. Randall may have to be in the trade just for, you know, salary purposes. And you got Fournier as your third best guy. Like that's not getting it done. You know what I mean? So then you're, you're back to being the same old Knicks who are trying to win the the back page of the paper, but you're not actually in contention. Yeah. yeah it makes sense for the Knicks to go after a young guy, right? Which is why Donovan Mitchell is, is that hot name for them. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I mean, I don't think Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson backcourt is getting it done either. You know, I I think Donovan Mitchell to New York makes sense as that is the type, that is the profile of player they should be targeting. And he is available right now. So it makes sense that that's a name that they want. But if I'm the Knicks, I'm not going after KD. I don't, I wouldn't even have to go after Donovan Mitchell. I would probably wait a little bit longer to see if there's another younger star that becomes available. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm definitely higher on Brandon Ingram than seemingly you guys are, but like someone that, is a two-way guy with size is who I would be targeting if I were a team like the Knicks. I wouldn't be targeting an undersized guard like Donovan Mitchell when I just got an undersized guard in Jalen Brunson. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, it's, it's not the perfect pairing, but I do think that if you're getting Donovan Mitchell and maybe you're getting off the Fournier contract and all you have to – like, because here's the thing. If you're keeping R.J. Barrett out of the, out of this conversation – the Knicks young guys are are nice. Is there anything in there out of their their group of like four or five young guys they have that you that you one hundred percent feel like that you're confident in is going to be an all star or a starting level player in this league? Like they're all they're all they all got upside and talent, but there's not one guy in my opinion that you're one hundred percent Emmanuel quickly Obi Toppin Grimes you know Deuce McBride like there's like they're all nice they're all nice potential but there's not one guarantee out of them. RJ, I feel pretty good about it. It's going to be something in this league. I think he, you know, I, like, he's going I, got, to be a large, really- I got a lot of RJ stuff. Same. And so I think if you have RJ Brunson, Mitchell, yeah, you're, you're not, you're not winning the title with that, but, but you're a hell of a lot closer. And I think they still have, you know, they're going to lose some of their draft capital to go get Mitchell. But I think that would set you up position positionally to get closer to that area. Um, and then, yeah, I mean like with Brandon Ingram, you also said like, is, is Brandon, do we consider Brandon Ingram a, a two way wing? You know, like defensively, he he could be, but I don't think he's necessarily shown that consistently. I think his defense is, as Greg said, his defense has improved, but I don't have him as a two-way guy yet. I think that that label's thrown around far too willy-nilly. So I think that, you know, for me to clash you as a legitimate two-way guy, you need to either be a lockdown point of attack guy or you need to be really, really good at chasing over screens, navigating, staying in that lock and he, tread and impacting that. He's a little Wigginsy in that sense, right? Where like we all assumed Wiggins was going to come into the league and was like, oh my God, this guy would have been like Scottie Pippen. You know what I mean? Like like just with his his uh, his measurables, right? But it didn't really show up until obviously it did over the last year or two with, with Golden State when he found the right situation. And with Brandon Ingram, I mean, I think it's the same thing. You can envision it. You can see the defense and in spurts, you can see it there, but it hasn't necessarily been a a full-time job of his or a full-time commitment on that defensive end. But I get the point of like, you know, with the skills he brings offensively and what he could do defensively once that, you know, clicks that that's going to maybe take his team and himself, you know, by proxy to the next level, that that's something you gamble on for sure. So with that, I think we've done enough KD talk and we've kind of, 
gone down a rabbit hole of who's good and who's not good, and I like <laughs> these rabbit holes. So I could do this for the next two hours and not bat an eyelid. But we did have one more. Well, we did spend 15 minutes just talking about how we describe ourselves. Trust Greg to make us get <laughs> philosophical at the beginning of things. <laughs> two episodes in a row you've got. No, yeah, two episodes. Well, that's the thing, dude. I'm, I'm not teaching anymore. So these are the conversations <laughs> that I would normally have, like, in my classroom as I just put out some sort of philosoph- philosophical or existential question. And I just let you guys cook. I, can, I don't know if you realize, but I kind of just sat back after I said my thing. Yeah, you just drop the uh, drop the bomb and then just watch the chaos and see. <laughs> uh, but the, the one we had planned, and we can wrap it up within like a five minute span. I feel like is uh, off season NBA beefs, not real beefs, but you know some guys jawing at each other, going backwards and forwards. And this was Greg's like brainchild, so Greg gets to lead the way here. With yeah, I mean, it was just really fun. interesting to see the Paolo Banchero and DeJounte Murray beef happen at the Pro-Am. Um, I, I haven't done all the research into exactly what happened. I think there's a lot of like conspiracies as as to what was said or what, why DeJounte Murray suddenly wanted to kill Paolo Banchero. Like he he was going at him in that game. It was it was like kind of disturbing, honestly. It's, it seemed like, you know, there was going to be some Gilbert Arenas, Javaris Crittenden stuff. DeJounte has been kind of a bully this summer in general. I don't know if you've seen that like a Apparently, this is a pattern of behavior from DeJounte Murray this summer where he's been just like picking on like it's really weird because DeJounte Murray made this big uh, post about like, hey, don't be like too big or superstars like go out there to these programs and like let these kids see you for free. I was like, yeah, that's dope. Good for DeJounte. Then I saw some clips of that I hadn't seen and it's him like bouncing balls off dudes heads who are like (laughs) working, you know, they're they're working at Amazon during the day then like run over to the Drew League or, you know, wherever it is in Seattle to go play and DeJounte Murray is just tooling on him and it's like all right come on man like i don't i don't don't know if that's like the coolest i mean i grew up in street ball culture man like if you're the best player on the floor you better let everybody know you're the best player on the floor i want that ego i want that swagger i understand why people are like no like that's not really very fair and i get it from a perspective of like yeah, this dude's just happy to be dean up on dejounte murray and dejounte murray's cooking him but if that was me, I'd and and he didn't cook me, I'd be upset that I didn't get to D up on DeJounte Murray, DeJounte Murray. I just deed up on a dude named DeJounte Murray that took it easy on me. I'd much rather you cook me and me feel stupid and know that I've guarded an NBA talent. And then all the fans in the crowd have come, they've got what he was asking people to give them, right? Like NBA level wow factor, the athleticism you don't get from the normal guys down at your local LA fitness this explosiveness so i'm cool with that now is it nice no it's not nice (laughs) is it fair no it's not really fair but you're stepping on the floor with dudes that literally a team just acquired dejounte murray to pair with trey young because they think he can help them become a genuine nba contender or a deep playoff team i want to see that if you're look people are moaning about dejounte murray doing that but then if you go and look at the way the knicks played the other day when they had julius randall Obi Toppin and Jalen Brunson on one team and they lost. They got smoked and two separate dudes on the other team went for 40. Like You can't have it both ways, right? Because if you're not going ham, then the other dudes are going to raise their game because they're like, yo, I'm cooking some NBA players. Let me just go for 40 real quick. 
two guys went for 40 against yeah them. that that reminds me of like my time as a, a camp director and camp counselor where we would have like the staff versus camper game and the moment you like take your foot off the gas and then the campers start hitting some shots and all the coaches are looking around at each other like oh we got to try now and sometimes you just like can't find it because once you give a, a you know a team some confidence or some players that are actually and you know are any good at all then they can you know they, everyone can have their day they light you up, man. And this is why I'm like, yo, DeJounte Murray came out there with a game plan. Kill morale instantly. You are not better than me. I'm going to bounce the ball off your head. Then it's going to ram my back through your legs. And then I'm doing it under both legs, handstand dunk. This is what I'm doing. And you're going to know that I'm better. And then I'm not going to lose. And so I'm like, yeah, man, I'm down for that. But this Paolo Banchero stuff. He I was, was going to say, so back weird. to the Paolo stuff, like, like, was there any lead up to this that we know of? Like, I know I, yeah, I, one of the conspiracy rapper. theories was like, he he mentioned one rapper was better than another rapper, which seems insane that that's what led <laughs> to this. I don't even remember which rappers it was. I've lost track of like half their names these days. But like, that couldn't be it, right? Then he said, talk, talking about like Paolo was was talking mess about being the number one pick. I don't know, man. This is This is one of those NBA beefs that, I seemingly feels like it just came out of nowhere, especially because Paolo hasn't played a game yet. For sure. And what are some other, I mean, this is something we talked about. What are some other NBA beefs that just like come to the forefront of your mind when you hear the term NBA beef? The the one that kind of stands out to me over the past like 10 years is Rondo versus CP. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I will say this. I just want to kind of flip back a little bit where Will said he doesn't know which rapper it was. There's a 50% chance it began began with Lil. L-I-L. Lil. <laughs> I because, thought about that as I said it. I was like, Lil something versus Lil something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus Lil Big something. Um, the one I said before we came on air that stands out to me because I found it so enjoyable was Damian Lillard versus Marvin Bagley in Rap Battle, Rap Beef. Will, what you got? I didn't. So I've been trying to think of one. Like, I know there's a bunch out there. I mean, I guess the one that I kind of fell back on was, you know, like Ron Artest versus Ben Wallace, just because that's what led to the malice at the palace. So (laughs) that's probably the best culmination of a beef that we've ever seen. Um, And that's one that, you know, I think was building up as those two teams had gone at it for several years. So just like the intensity between the two of them and the two of them being, you know, the, the leading defensive player of the year candidates for, you know, probably about a five year stretch. It was just back and forth between the two of them is who's the better defender in the league and they're both kind of you know two of the tougher guys that we've seen play in the nba in our lifetime so that was one that that jumped out to me but i couldn't really think of any other uh any other ones but i like the cp rondo and then you know i didn't know the history of the bagley lillard one but i know adam had kind of explained it to us off air we've also got Jokic brothers versus the Mar- the morris brothers that's a great Ooh, one. that's gonna be that's gonna be a good beef to watch moving forward beef stew who uh, and beef stew LeBron is going to be a good one moving yeah. forward anytime they play, or just like beef stew in general. Like that guy terrifies me. Think about all the guys in the league that you wouldn't want to see, you know, like running at you full speed. The, the clip murders. of him running through all of the security, all of oh his Pistons God. teammates is terrifying to see that. And I've got to say, you know, respect to LeBron, he didn't flinch. He didn't flinch when 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 Beef Stew was coming at him. I would have ran so quickly the other <laughs> way. <laughs> I have no problem admitting that. He's a big guy, man. I would have been scared, dude. Scared. I've got a risky one that, you know, I'm gonna say Ennis Cantor versus everybody. That's a good, that's a good beef. Uh, versus society. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who else is the Westbrook I, versus Pat Bev? Yeah, then you've got or Pat, Pat Bev, Bev versus uh, CP. Yeah, that's the one I was just thinking of. Uh, I mean, there's millions, right? You've got really, Jordan really... versus Thomas. 
Yeah. I mean, yep, Shaq versus look. Kobe, obviously. Shaq versus yeah. Kobe. You know what? Dwight Howard really, versus Kobe. I, I really enjoy some of the fan bases, like the Trey Young versus the Knicks, which is kind of similar to like Reggie Miller versus the Knicks. Yeah. I really enjoy that, especially because here's the thing. I'm not a huge Trey Young guy. I feel like every time a list comes out of, of best players, I can usually find multiple reasons why I put Trey lower than he is on, on most lists, despite knowing that he's really good at basketball. And I love the way he embraces being the villain in Madison Square Garden. Like that's probably I, I root for Trey Young in that scenario because I love the the WWE ness, if you will, of him walking into the garden and, and just trying to quiet all of those fans. Yeah, I mean Trey Young get exposed in these in these playoffs. So I, I feel you. That perk list of putting Trey Young insane. ahead of Jason Tatum. That was I I like perk. And when he did that, I was just like, come on, bro. You're just like all the people that despise you. You're giving them all of the fodder that they need right now. Like yeah. how in what world could you ever put Trey Young ahead of Jason Tatum? Here's the thing. That was ESPN perk. And then there's NBC Sports perk. NBC Sports perk is a realist who will give you his his opinions. ESPN perk is, is about the clicks. That's just the way I kind of look at it. And it's it's just, you know, separation of, of show and substance. And that's uh, unfortunately, that's the way the, the content world is becoming. You know, you got you got to be able to split that personality across two. The other one we got Draymond Green versus the Celtics fan base. Yeah, Kyrie, Kyrie versus the Celtics fan yeah, base. Kyrie, in fact, pretty much every player, LeBron versus is LeBron's going to have a, a <laughs> yeah. A LeBron hot was talking soon. Yep, exactly. Uh, you know, so I think yeah, any non-Celtic or former Celtic versus the Celtics fan base is a good beef to keep up with. Because Who's the uh, one guy in the NBA that you currently have the most personal beef with? Currently in or has been in? Current, well, um, do both. Currently in the NBA and just historically. Currently in the NBA, my, I, I don't. Oh man, come back to me. I know. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go first. Mine's Dylan Brooks. Okay. For no <laughs> for no reason. Every time I watch Dylan Brooks play, I know he's a good player. He's a great defender. I cannot stand him. He looks like one. He just looks like an overgrown baby. And like, literally it looks like he's wearing a diaper, like in his pants. I don't know what it is about like his body shape, but I, I'm just, I just picture every time I look at the guy, I'm like, you are just a six foot eight baby playing basketball in a diaper. And I just hate the way he looks. I never want to root for Dylan Brooks. I cannot stand that man. I feel bad for every Memphis Grizzlies fan that they have to root for Dylan Brooks. And I have some Grizzlies, uh, fan friends and they also do not like Dylan Brooks so that that <laughs> confirms that for me he should go to Milwaukee and play for coach baby bud um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know but I'm struggling to think of like current player right now but when we were thinking of like like past players and this one's not too far in the in the past Zaza Pachulia I cannot stand uh, yeah. <laughs> Zaza Pachulia dating back to that opening round series the Celtics had with the with the upstart Hawks, the Al Horford upstart Hawks uh, back in the championship 08 season. You know, he oh, God, he is just a guy that you look at him on the court and, you know, something for your team is going to go wrong, but not in a basketball way. Just like he's going to do something that, you know, like, I mean, look at the Kawhi letter play. You know what I mean? Now we have to deal with every single three point shot being reviewed for, you know, uh, for an excessive foul because of Zaza Pachulia. And for the time that he's wasted in my life, I hate you, Zaza Pachulia. I hate you. So I want to go with Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> we should have known that one was coming yeah it took me a minute i was running through names and then the name dennis schroeder hit my brain i was like of course him 
I don't think I think I've done enough talking on why I dislike Derek Schroeder with a passion. Yo, my guy yeah, can't even get a contract right now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, dude. And people were like, "Yeah, let's just he'll be here forever." Of course he will, because no one else wants him. That's what happens. He was a squatter. He just came <laughs> and was like, "I'm staying." Yeah, I've got squatters' rights. No, um, I still then, think he could be useful. I know that's I know I know that sounds. I still think in the right scenario he could be useful, but that's just my two cents. Previous player that I hated, I've said this on many occasions too. Chris Humphreys. No idea why. <laughs> I just really one. disliked the guy. Is it a Kardashian bias? No, because then I'd hate like Tristan Thompson and that, and I I honestly don't mind. Like, do you know what I mean? And loads of dudes have like dated one of the Kardashians, and it doesn't bother me. Like you do, you dudes have dated the Kardashians. That's a a great point. (laughs) I'd hate half the NBA if I hated the Kardashians. (laughs) I mean, with that, we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna end. So, uh, thank you for joining this pointless episode of the Celtics Pod, and we'll be back again on Friday. Everybody, make sure you tune into the new Green with Envy feed. I'll retweet it once it's live for you for Will and Greg. And make sure you're signing up to the YouTube channel if you want to watch us laugh in real time. Everybody, stay safe. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all attest to my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.